I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her April Gargiulo is the founder of Vintner's Daughter, a coveted natural skincare line. Completely new to the industry, April quickly became a star in the beauty world due to her vision for a more simple skincare system and her commitment to the finest ingredients. Her organic journey, according to her own inner compass, will inspire you. April Gargiulo, welcome to the podcast. Are, are you in Napa today? Today, I'm actually in San Francisco. You're in California, but you are not from there. I think you're from... Yeah, I'm originally from Naples, Florida, although my mom's family was always from Napa. And so it was the place where my my parents always, from a young age, I always knew that that's where my parents wanted to be. And we always spent um, like holidays and summers, um, I think as much time as my parents could figure out how to be there. We were, we, that's where we were as a family. While not having technically grown up there, I had, I always had a very strong kind of affinity for Napa Valley. I, I had, a, I always had a kind of an identity around Napa Valley. Which is interesting because I'm, I'm a child of a Fort Lauderdale Floridian. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I would wow, say, yes. And I would say that South Florida is di very different from Napa. What was it like growing up in Naples? <laughs> that's a good question. I mean, you know, it's so different today. I don't even, I, I truly can barely get around there today when I go back because when I was there and I, I left and went away to school when I was 14 and never really came back. So when I was living there, it was a very small town, very small town. I mean, after 7.30, you know, you could drive up and down the streets and every light was green. Um, <laughs> there was barely any cars on the street. There were very few kids my age where I grew up. Like it was mostly retired people you know, and today it is, it's, it's very, I mean, like I said, I don't even recognize it. It's lots of young professionals, lots of young families. I barely recognize it when I go back. The beaches are still gorgeous. When you said you went to boarding school, I guess at 14, where, yeah. where did you get what part of the country? I went to Connecticut, beautiful Connecticut. Different. That's a totally. Oh, so different. <laughs> so different. Like everything about it, obviously, like just the obvious, the temperature, the geography, the social aspects of it were, 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 nothing I had ever really experienced before. And yeah, so I went to a school called Hotchkiss. It was in Lakeville, Connecticut, which is, you know, really, really beautiful. And I got to uh, be there for, you know, for my high school years. I can, I can relate to that. I came from Charlotte and went to Andover and there you go. I also love, I love when Floridians come up North too, and I'm calling North Carolina up North. They, they love wearing sweaters. <laughs> I know. Right. <laughs> Well, so I, so I ended up back, I went to North Carolina as a kid, we would often go to Highlands, North Carolina. And that was, that was, you know, it was like the mountains and it was cold, right. Compared to, you know, 90 degrees in, in January, Florida. But then for college, I went to college in, um, in Durham. So I went to Duke. So yeah. 
I was down the road from you at Chapel Hill. Well, what was oh my gosh. We have parallel paths. We kind of do. Well, tell me about your style and how it changed in each move. I want to hear about that. Oh, and also, that's a good question. Yeah. I've never thought of it. Okay. So that's a good question. So in Florida, especially in South Florida and Naples, and at the time, I think it's fancier now, but when I lived there, it wasn't, especially as a kid. I mean, it was t-shirts and shorts and flip-flops. I mean, that was, and it was just whatever. There was no consideration of style. It was just like whatever you wore that was temperature appropriate. And then in high school, you know, we had uniforms. So I don't think that there was a whole, I mean, whatever I could get from J. Crew catalog was literally probably it. There, you know, obviously there was no internet. There was no like... There were no influencers. So April, you would be amazed at how many fashion people, and I'm calling you a fashion person, I guess, but I'm sorry. I, I think you are. But how many fashion people went to school with uniforms? I think there's something really significant about that. that people. Oh, that is interesting, huh? So many. I mean, almost every person that I talked to. That's that. Yeah. So there was, you know, uniforms. And I mean, you know, I thought that I was being fashionable with my J. Crew catalog and, 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 you know, it was like very preppy and, you know, whatever, all the things. And then at Duke, gosh, I mean, that was the nineties. It was everything that's back today. Like, I think I saw somebody wearing those like half boot things the other day, you know, oh, yeah. do you remember those? Yes. Oh, oh I, my goodness. I was here in the nineties too. <laughs> oh my goodness. Those half boot things were just a crack up. I have a 16 year old too. So it's so funny to see these things come back and I, I've saved almost everything for her and to have her come out in these full outfits from the nineties. I'm like, Whoa. <laughs> oh, that's so good. And I think like there's certain elements of it that I can like that are back that I can incorporate, but like, I will never wear a half boot shoe again. <laughs> it wasn't a good look it really wasn't I mean for me I don't but then I see I mean I do I see it on people I'm like oh okay that was cute and then there's some things that you kind of look back on horrifically like I look back on Tevas up until a year ago like oh my god what was I thinking why did I ever wear those meanwhile I've got three pairs of platform Tevas right now in my closet so you know I'm obsessed with my Tevas I'm with right you. yes it's so crazy I also understand that you had a very stylish grandmother will you tell me about her oh. I'm actually wearing some of her pieces right now. My grandmother, who's still alive, is extraordinarily stylish, had just like such an incredible eye. I remember we would drive to the Asheville um, flea market. She would find things there or at, you know, a very super uber edited antiques shop, right? And so she was like the kind of an original, like up high and low uh, shopper. And she just had such exquisite taste and such an eye. And she's got collections like just extraordinary collections that I was always really interested in and captivated by. She had a crystal collection, these extraordinary crystals that she, and like rocks and geodes that she had collected over the years, you know, from the 1950s and 60s. And she, anyway, she has, and still does, has an extraordinary eye and just really cool collections. And obviously has inspired you a lot. And I love that she shared a lot of her collection with you. That's nice. Oh, I mean, you can't go to her house without her giving, giving you stuff. <laughs> yeah. Where is she? Is she in Napa? She's in Florida. Okay. She's in South Florida. Yeah. Nice. And so tell me about the move to Napa. How did y'all get there? And so my father had been in agriculture all his life and was also born of Italian immigrants and um, had this, this very much this sort of an old world way of approaching food and wine and life really. Right. And it was something that he found very resonant in Napa. And my mom's family had been in Napa. It was really uh, my mom's 
my mom's aunt and uncle, Barney and Bell Rhodes, and along with the Mondavis and many other families, um, really put Napa on the map for some of the finest wines in the world. And, and my parents had really kind of gotten to see that and really wanted to be a part of it. And so they bought property there in 1990, 1992, with the idea that they would be growing grapes. And again, my father coming from an agricultural background that you know, there, that was kind of a, a somewhat seamless transition along with all the information and just the kind of generational knowledge that Barney and Bell passed on. And as soon as they were able to, you know, make a full transition and move to Napa, they did. Now at this point I'm in college and so it doesn't matter to me. They all, they all moved and I was in college and then I moved to Manhattan and lived and worked in the, in the design kind of world in Manhattan, like furniture design in Manhattan for six years and then moved to Napa. So that's a, I don't even remember what the question was at this point, Laura. So hopefully I, (laughs) hopefully I answered it. And so then you moved to California and you, and you started to work with your family. Yes. So I moved to California, I moved to Napa. And at that point we had been growing grapes for many years, but hadn't been making wine. And a couple years earlier, my father had decided to let's. What does that mean? Does that mean, so you grow grapes and you sell them to other people? Oh, exactly. Yes, 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 yes. So we grew grapes and then sold them to wineries to make wine in. And we have, you know, the, the properties, the vineyards that we have in Napa Valley are, are, are vineyards that are very special and very unique and, and produce grapes that produce wines that are very um, expressive of their unique places. And so they're, they're sought after grapes. And Was that dumb luck or was that? Or oh, was no. Like, no, that, no, 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 no. That, that was interesting. Yeah, no, that was, that was very deliberate. It's a lot of things together, right? It's, it's, first of all, it's just dependent on what kind of wines do you what do you want to make? Well, you know, we have two vineyards that are extraordinary for Cabernet Sauvignon. Like if you wanted to grow Pinot Noir, these would not be the most extraordinary places to go do that. Right. Right. So he very much wanted to make Cabernet and he knew that these vineyards and it's historical, right? It it wasn't like something that he uncovered. It's, it's something that everyone knows these are because of where they are, where they sit in the Valley, because of the, the actual soil is the chemical makeup of the soil. And then the, the weather patterns in these particular places, like they are kind of these extraordinary places to grow a Cabernet grapes. They um, wanted to start making wine, actually bottle bottle wine under the name Gargiulo Vineyards. Gargiulo is our last name, of course. And, and they said, why don't you come out and do all the kind of the sales and marketing for us, which is what I had been doing in, in Manhattan, but, you know, with furniture, not with wine. And right. so I came out and, and, you know, didn't know a thing. And thankfully Napa Valley is a very, <laughs> is a very kind, gracious, extraordinary place. And I had some really smart, kind people kind of take me under their wing and really help me to understand the business of wine. And, and what was it like working with your family? For good and bad. Um, you know, my, my parents are really hands off about it. Like they had an extraordinary amount of trust in me, which I, you know, I certainly hadn't earned at that point. And they were really hands off. I mean, I think my father was so focused on just what goes into the bottle, right? He was so focused on, on that. that um, and I think rightly so, he felt like, listen, if we get that right, then everything else will follow. So, so they were really hands off on, on kind of my part of the business. Was your part of the business, you said marketing, I mean, was it also like designing labels and- All the creative, all the sales, all the marketing, all that stuff. That's so cool. And you had worked at, you'd worked at Vitra in New York and worked mm-hmm. Legendary places that I'm sure gave you a lot of creative things to lean on, I guess. They had given me kind of a way of putting design first and really thinking about a design as a way to communicate your values, which was, it was an interesting framework, I think. 
from what I've read that your family really instilled a value about quality. Did they state that out loud or was it just something you- Oh, that was from birth. That was, (laughs) that was, I mean, uh, that was any food that came into the house, any article of clothing that came into the house, any furniture, anything that came in the house. It was always about like, what was the intentionality behind this? How was it made? Was this made with the highest degree, the highest standards? Was this made from the finest ingredients? How did your, did your business come about within this? In 2009, my husband and I decided to kind of, to take a little sabbatical and we were going, we didn't have kids yet. And the winery, I'd gotten to a point where, I guess it was 2008 that we made the decision and the winery had kind of gotten to the point where it was kind of, exactly. Well, yeah. So you, you already know what's coming. So the winery had gotten to the point where everything was getting sold. We were, it was kind of zooming along. So I felt like, okay, I'm going to go and we're going to take this. We're going to go six months. We're going to go move to Spain and we're going to kind of just like do whatever we want for six months. And he had, he had just sold his business and we were just going to go do that. And, and we did. Um, but of course, while we're there, you know, the whole world turns upside down and the, in 2009, the economic crisis. And so my parents in a way were kind of left holding the bag and lots of wine to sell. So then when we came back, um, they were far more involved and were able to really do, do all that. And they had hired people who, who could do all that better than them or myself. So it was, it was actually really nice. And the winery is kind of as a result of, of, of the economic downturn, we were able to really kind of like get better. And it also gave me a minute to kind of think about what's next. And, and so I was kind I had these three ideas that I was kind of parallel pathing, Laura. It was like, this is so funny when I think about it now, of course, but um, one, one was this company called Mighty Butter, which, which was going to be these, these superfood infused nut butters. I'm into that. <laughs> well, today it sounds good, but this is like, however, this is like 10, 15 years ago, or I guess 10 years ago. And at, you know, it, it was like, everyone would look at me sideways. And then the second one was something called Skinny Vine. I think I still hold the URLs for these, by the way, which is so funny. And then, so Skinny Vine was going to be low calorie wine. You definitely know um, that one actually. Right, right. <laughs> well, what I realized, and this goes back to my quality thing, is that skinny, skinny or low calorie wine has been doctored <laughs> up so much and manipulated so much that it's like barely wine anymore. So like my soul could not have gone through with that. <laughs> and then Bittner's daughter, right? And then this, this idea to make this extraordinary, you know, this kind of skincare in the same way that we make wine with the same kind of care and attention, right? So I was parallel passing these three and, you know, obviously like the wine world, I already understand it. I understand distribution, like Mighty Butter even felt like something like more akin to what I knew than, than skincare, other than having grown up, having been, you know, challenged by my skin all my life and kind of knew it from that perspective. But, you know, when I sat down, I still remember I sat down in the kitchen, um, my husband and I were living in Napa, I sat down in the kitchen and he was like, okay, April, you've got to figure out what you're going to go forward with here. You can't keep moving each one along a little bit. Yeah. Tell me about each one. And so, you know, I told him about, I told him about the first two and then I got to Vintner's daughter and it was very clear, you know, my light my eyes light up. I talked about it for an hour versus two minutes. And so that was when I really thought, okay, I, let me move forward with this. And, and it was really about the moment when um, I started investigating my skincare and recognizing that these, these so-called luxury products I was using were anything, but they were made from very cheap, inexpensive fillers, which many times was toxic and wasn't the definition of, of luxury that I had come from, right? This world in Napa that was really about 
how you start with the finest ingredients and you honor those ingredients and you create something that's even, you know, better than the kind of sum of its parts. And that was something that I felt like was really missing from skincare. I felt like so much, again, so much of this so-called luxury skincare was, was, was not. And, you know, the genesis of Vintner's Daughter came out of that. How do I create a true luxury skincare that really sits on those same philosophical foundations as the, as the fine winemaking world that I'd come from? And had you always been sort of a product junkie or? Yes. Yes. Laura. So like when all my other friends were buying like whatever, and this is going to date me to like Fendi, (laughs) Fendi baguette bags. I was like, (laughs) I was like, okay, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to be here spending $500 on this, like one ounce of cream. I do understand. (laughs) And then you dove right in um, to creating this all natural beauty product. What, What was that experience like having yeah literally no experience in that no experience right exactly so it was it was it was a crash course and I kind of found the people who had been who really understood how to make the kind of products I wanted to make and I would talk to them and ask them tons of questions and then they would say they would say okay no now you need to go talk to this person so then I would talk to that person it was really just kind of following this like trail of crumbs right and along the way I would pick up ingredient ideas I would pick up formulation ideas and ultimately um, had this, this formula that like we went through a lot of iterations, but so we finally have this formula though that I knew was, was revolutionary for my skin, for my acne prone, pigmented, you know, growing, growing older, the, you know, fine lines and wrinkles and all the things um, that were happening at that point. I knew that it was this transformational formula. And then my mom and my mom, you know, I, I definitely got my, my skincare obsession from my mom. And so, you know, getting her feedback was really critical. She's also very direct and honest. Like she would have flat out told me if it wasn't good. And there were, there were iterations that she did tell me like, this is not working. (laughs) And so, you know, so I finally have this formula that I know is just really transformational for me and, and for others that have, have tried it. And I go to labs, I find the best labs in the country. And I talked to them and, and, and explained what I'm trying to do. And they, Laura, like laughed me out of the building. They told me, you have got to be crazy. Like, (laughs) no, this is not how things are made. And again, remember I'm coming from the wine world where it takes three years to make a bottle of wine. So I'm showing them my formula, which takes three weeks to make because you know, very uniquely, we begin with whole plants, some of the most nutrient dense whole plants in the world. And over the course of three weeks, we capture all that beautiful energy and nutrition and plant intelligence so that we can deliver it to your skin so that we can have this like very deep relationship with your skin to create that extraordinary change in the skin, right? Mm. Ultimately, it's about health and balance in your skin, but it's critical to begin with these whole plants. And that three week long process is critical. I mean, that is literally our secret sauce, right? And so I would go talk to these labs and they would say, we don't make products over six hours. Like (laughs) you need to, (laughs) you need to use this extract, you know, you need to use this, this synthetic, it's cheaper, it's faster, it's better. Trust us. We know what we're talking about. And so, you know, for me, I was coming again, I was coming from the wine world where it takes three years to make the bottle of wine. So I kind of thought like, you guys are crazy. Like get on board. We're, it's only going to take three weeks. We're going to make the finest skincare in the world. This is genius. Like, let's go do this. And so, but it, so it took a while for me to find somebody who, who would work with us at the level, at the standards that I had around, around sourcing and testing and all the things. And I think probably they agreed to do the first run of like, I think it was like 500 bottles, way, way under their minimum, just to kind of get me out of their hair. I would, I, I oh, imagine. Do you still work with those, that lab? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Interesting. And back to Duke real fast. What, what did you study in school? I hope chemistry or something. No, are you kidding? No, um, no. No, I mean, isn't that funny, Laura? I don't even bake. Like, I'm not even a good baker. Like, you don't ever want me to bake anything. I'm, I cook, I don't bake. Well, I, I had three majors. So I had a history major, art history major, and political science major. Okay, which have literally nothing to do with you, what you do now. No, I no. I just think I took a class and thought, oh, this is interesting. And, and I loved school. So, I mean, I was like, you know, I would take a class and think that was super interesting. And so then I would say, oh, yeah, I'm going to major in this. And then I do it again. And that's how that happened. That's so funny. Did you always have faith that um, the product would be successful? Did you really know that in your heart that, that this would this would be something? Mm. Anybody, I knew anybody who was dealing with acne. I knew that anyone dealing with like rosacea or inflammation or any kind of aging related or inflammatory related um, issue was going to like, this was going to be like, you know, this was going to save them. This was going to be the only product they needed. That That I was sure of you know, our, our launch, by the way, and you can't see me, but I'm putting that in quotations because our launch was that, um, first hour was me. And it was that I had a website that worked, right. I didn't have PR. I didn't know anybody in the makeup world. I didn't know anybody in the celebrity world, like nothing. Right. And so it was purely word of mouth. How we've, how we've grown even today, like we've still don't participate in, in marketing programs. So it is all grown word of mouth. And, and that really has to do with, with people's experience with, with the product and that they want to share that. I love that. One of the things also that I love about the product, and it doesn't happen often, I think, is that it's the, the high quality whole products, but they also have incredible performance and natural mm. product. I, I think right. it's really, really rare to have both of those. For me, natural, non-toxic, safe, that is like table stakes. That is like, of course, that is part of it. Now let's talk to what we really need. Because again, remember, I was somebody who didn't, didn't I couldn't just put coconut oil on my face and go to bed and wake up and everything was going to be good. I really needed a lot more cream in my coffee. So it was all about performance. Like with active treatment essence, I mean, we even push performance even further with active botanical serum. And then to have these two products that, you know, as, as performance driven as both these products are, you still are able to get everything your skin needs in, in two simple, simple yet again, super powerful steps. I wasn't somebody who wanted a complicated routine at the time when we first launched 10, 12, 15 step programs were all the rage. And I thought, no, no, no. I mean, I want far fewer products, but I want them to be far better. And I want them to communicate with the skin at a deeper level, which I feel like is better for your skin. And I also know that that's better for the environment and, you know, sustainability um, and charity was uh, at the heart of, of like everything we've done since day one. We keep improving that, but I think more than anything we do is producing fewer, but better products is so much better for your skin, well, but also better for the environment. Well, and I appreciate it so much just within fashion, you know, and, and, fashion is always talking about sustainability, but then they're churning out, you know, a mm-hmm. hundred new products or, mm-hmm. and, and skincare I love, does the same thing. Yeah. It's so annoying. And, and I, mm-hmm. I, for me, I'm just like, I don't want anything. Just don't show me anything unless it works, you know, don't show me anything unless it's, unless it's beautiful. Right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I just, that, I think that's the biggest problem with, with sustainability is this idea of just churning out stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. It's, it's always so interesting to me when you have a company who talks about sustainability, but then at the same time has introduced a new range of products every three months in all plastic bottles, right? 
So right. it's, it's, and I think it's hard for the consumer ultimately. I think it's very hard for, for a consumer to really see through that and, and, and not get trapped in that sort of like industrial new complex where like you just think like new, new, new. And so what we really think about, we think about creating products that are like someone recently said that I, and I really love the way she said this. She said that you're creating, you're creating not the person's next product, you're creating their last product. And, and I think that was well said, you know, we want to create products that you marry for life. Yeah. Speaking of married, one of the things that we also share is that we both work with our husbands a little bit. Mm. <laughs> Tell me about that. How, how yeah. been and, and when did he join? And when did he join? Um, gosh, I was probably like two years in, uh, maybe a year and a half into the like post launch. And I was getting busier every day. Every day I was getting busier. Every day I was, I, and I had had, at that point, I had a two-year-old and a, and a newborn. And so I would sort of do all the mom stuff, put them down to sleep and try to get a whole bunch of work done. And anytime the nap schedule got interrupted, like my day was just done. And then I would, you know, I'd put him to sleep and I'd run upstairs and like finish everything else up. And, and, and I think one day he just realized like where this business was going, where the company was going, like in, from a growth perspective and also recognizing that, that I had no experience with this level and speed of growth and um, that I needed help and, you know, very lovingly. And um, he offered to come and, and help and really kind of um, like operationalize which was something that I could, you know, yes, I could have learned. Yes, I could have hired somebody else for, but there's nothing like, you know, the person you trust the most who also happens to have extraordinary experience with that coming in and, and lending a hand. So, yeah, so he was sort of like co-CEO for three years maybe, and just recently has become more of, I don't know what you would call it, like chairman of the board or something like that. Right. And, and it's been, it's been a happy. Experience. Oh, fantastic. Oh yeah. Yeah. Really good, positive experience. I mean, I think, you know, we both have a lot of respect for each other. We both have very clear swimming lanes and, and are very respectful of that. I asked my husband never to talk about business at dinner. It's so funny. I just think <laughs> we've never actually had that conversation, but we just don't really ever. I don't know. It just naturally has been something that we just don't really chat about a lot unless whatever unless it's some like I don't know whatever some big thing happened or is happening or what have you one of the best pieces of advice you were given was guidance on a gratitude practice can you talk about that it's really been the core of of how I approach my day how I approach my life and it is something that has allowed me to um, be grounded in um, kind of like our truth and, and who we are as a company and, and who we want to serve and how we want to serve our customers. It has allowed me to kind of steer clear of the kind of shiny glittery objects that sometimes can kind of take you off your, your path. And ultimately, I think it's, it's, it's like a virtue that, that underscores so many other virtues, it's like a huge guiding principle of, of Vintner's Daughter and our business and, and our team. And, is, and, and what kind of a practice is it? Is it like something you do every day? Every day, many times a day. It's, it's, almost, it's kind of part and parcel of a mindfulness practice. Yeah, I love that. ask all of our all of our guests what they wore to the prom and now I'm thinking Hotchkiss I'm not sure I don't think we had a prom <laughs> did you have any dance or, or maybe your wedding dress a, a special dress that you loved I'm so not like a fancy dress person isn't that bad I can't even remember my wedding dress um, no are you serious 
I don't remember my wedding dress. It's not, I mean, no, I remember what it looks like. I don't remember the brand um, or the designer. Um, did, that's okay. What did it look like? It was, is, does, does Neem Calm, is that Neem? Neem Calm, yeah, yeah, Neem. Yes, yeah. yeah, I think that's who it was. But here's, I didn't, I was not the person who walked in and was like, this is my dress. There was like <laughs> 500 dresses that could have been my dress. Like I was like starstruck from all of it. Like it was all like, you know what I mean? Like I could have gone anyway, but it was pretty simple. It was very kind of like 1920s. There was a lot of like really beautiful beadwork. Were you married in Napa? We were married in Napa at the winery. Yeah. Yeah, how nice. That's it so was, interesting. It was April, that's really interesting that you don't really remember it. I know. It was, I know. I remembered what it but, looks yeah. like, but like, yeah, yeah, what it looks like. I remember the feeling very, very clearly, but I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think I. Um, I practice non-attachment, so I think that I don't have a strong attachment to it. Like I have a strong attachment to the feeling and the strong Your attachment to, to my yeah. husband and like you know what that day was to us. You could possibly be the healthiest person that's ever been on the program. <laughs> oh, well, no, I mean, listen, I, 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 I remember the earrings. I remember I wore my grandmother's earrings. I oh, remember I that. what they look like? Oh, they were so beautiful. And they were earrings of hers that I just had always loved. They were diamond earrings, but they were kind of this like, like celestial kind of the way that they were all kind of put together. Pretty. Yeah, they were really, they were really beautiful. She gave them to me. So I was, I still have them. Oh, that's so nice. Well, thank you so much, April. Love, love, love getting to talk to you and appreciate you taking time out of your day to tell us all about your incredible product and your incredible, oh. your incredible journey. Oh, Laura, thank you so much. Yeah, we're, you know, we're so proud to have our products at Capital. Like I, like I said, Capital was one of my very first retailers in the United States that I wanted to work with. I mean, I have just always had such huge respect for you and your vision and your approach to your community and your customers. It's just always been very resonant with how I wanted to um, partner. So thank you. Thank you. It sounds like we have a lot in common and you need to come shop. <laughs> oh, I know. Yeah. Believe me. I, well, when I was in the LA space, I almost had a heart attack at how beautiful <laughs> it is. Oh my gosh. Oh, good. Holy moly. Every piece of furniture, every rug. What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balta Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.